0: Hello, I'm Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Each month, David and I host on YouTube Live a show that we call Work Comp Today. This show is addressing news, articles, cases, and things that are of importance to our practice that involve employees, employers, and independent contractors. Each month, we invite a colleague and friend to join us, and we run through the topics of importance of the day. We think you'll enjoy this particular episode. Our friend and buddy, Tom Holder out of the Atlanta, Georgia office of Gerber and Holder, joins us. And we discuss several things, including what's going on with COVID-related cases and the like. Thank you again for tuning in to WorkComp today. If you like this episode of Work Comp Today and want to hear future episodes, please consider subscribing to our channel. We put these episodes out each month, about a week to 10 days after they're live on YouTube. Also, it would really help us out if you would consider giving us a five-star review and rating, and we would sure appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in to Work Comp Today. everybody i want to welcome you guys back to our monthly youtube live show work comp today dave we still need to consider renaming this show at some point but this is our amateur hour here hold on there we go we do this show each month usually toward the end of of the month third or fourth thursday where dave and i and a lucky guest get to talk about articles that are in the news that are make our radar screen for the type of law and type of practice that we have. They usually impact employers, employees, and independent contractors. We've been doing this for a couple of years now, and we do this on YouTube Live. We push it to Facebook, but I want to welcome you guys. Dave, I want to welcome you, of course, and our guest, Tom Holder with Gerber Holder. In Atlanta, with based in Atlanta, Tom, welcome aboard, and we hope that you survive this hour with us today. Well, thank you, Bernard. I look forward to spending this hour with the two of you. Most, most welcome, most welcome, Dave. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. We're uh, what six weeks from college football starting, so it's it's around the corner. I'm excited yeah, been, about. It.
0: We just had SEC media days. We all know that's a bit of a circus at time but I know that you and I have known Tom, you've known Tom longer than I have through our mutual organization and friendships. Why don't you introduce Tom a little bit and then we'll get started.
1: Sure, so so glad Tom Holder is joining us today. Uh, Tom is a partner at the Gerber Holder Law Firm with a uh, main office in Atlanta. Then I've got offices in, uh, also in Athens, at Columbus, Georgia. Um, I've known Tom for I'm gonna say close to 10 years now, Tom. And uh, uh, Tom is a premier work comp lawyer in the state of Georgia. He's a uh, past president of the workers injury law and advocacy group, which we talk about on this show just about every month. He's also uh, was recently named national claimants attorney of the year national award. So uh, those, those that, that tells you what kind of lawyer Tom is. And uh, I, I, Tom Tom, I guess uh, you reached out to me many years ago about joining Will, and uh, I'm so glad you did, and I'm uh, glad to be a member of that organization and get to know great lawyers like you and, of course, your partner, Ben, and many other lawyers from around the country. So so glad to see you today. Glad you joined us and looking forward to spending some time with you today.
0: Tom, if you will, talk about your practice a little bit. Tell, share with us what you guys do so well over in Georgia. Well, um, so our firm has five lawyers. We've recently
2: added another person, and we actually exclusively represent um, injured workers in Georgia workers' compensation cases. As the two of you know, um, workers' compensation law is specific to each state, and later on we might be talking about some of the differences between Alabama and Georgia law, and that's, and that's really all we do, and I've had that practice for many, many years. I had a partnership with another lawyer, Jim Long, who retired a couple of years ago, and I needed a place to move my practice and then had a good situation for me, so I moved my practice over, over here, and it's really worked
0: out very nicely over the last two and a half years. And we've, we've enjoyed our partnership, friendship, and business relationship, as well as socializing a little bit. We go to the conferences, we see you guys from time to time, but Tom, let's, uh, let's jump into these articles. We've got so many I had to cut it down normally we do four to six of these articles but there are so many of them several of which are related but they are from different parts of the country and we're going to hit the first one running this comes out of texas this is lawsuit over houston methodists covid 19 vaccine mandate dismissed and for those of you don't know houston methodist that's referring to the hospital very large hospital organization in Houston and the surrounding area. Uh, Dave, this is a federal lawsuit that, and we're going to get into another article in a minute that really kind of piggybacks that out of Memphis. But this is a lawsuit where folks said, you can't make me get the vaccine because it's my choice. But what do you take out of
1: this? Yeah. You know, leading up to uh, this court case, we've actually been talking about this situation for, for months. We knew it was on the horizon. And what the question is whether an employer can require their employee to get the uh, COVID-19 vaccination. And here over a hundred employees filed suit saying we're not getting vaccinated. And the uh, federal court says you, that the employer can require them to get vaccinated or they can face uh, discipline, employment discipline, including uh, being their employment being terminated.
0: Tom, it looks like they gave them a, a, a deadline to get vaccinated. Then they said, if you're not by this certain date, we're going to suspend you. And then it just kept progressing. If this was in Georgia, how do you think the, the Georgia courts might look at this? I think the Georgia courts are going to look at it exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to also say,
2: personally, when you read about um, people in hospitals, you know, the doctors, the nurses, and how much of a struggle they've had for the last year, it's really kind of shocking to me to see that there's such pushback towards having the COVID-19 vaccination. I mean, I don't think any of us would want to go into a hospital, you know, n- knowing that there are people there who have not been vaccinated. You know, we could, even if you've been vaccinated, you can be an asymptomatic carrier, and then you could transfer it to somebody who has not been vaccinated. That person could get COVID and, you know, you're just off and kind of off and running. So, I think the I think the courts are going to rule
0: the same way. David, how how much importance is it that the employer in this case is a front line? I mean, the front line uh, of this pandemic. This is a hospital setting where patients, yeah. as opposed to in comparison, let's say this was a large warehouse of storing widgets in and out. Does that make a difference?
1: I think it does. I think it's important who the employer is. I mean, this is a hospital that's in the business of making people better and saving lives. So they're on the front lines. Um, I think that is important. Uh, but let's say this, injured, let's say an a employee of a, of a large warehouse doesn't want to get vaccinated. Well, there's a couple of reasons why they have a legitimate reason to not get vaccinated. One would be a religious reason and another be, would be uh, a medical exemption. Um, so that would apply to anybody where they work at a hospital or a warehouse. But yeah, work, this being a, a hospital, uh, or healthcare system. Yeah, that gives, uh, that, that, uh, is in favor. It's a fact in favor of the, uh, hospital.
0: Guys, let's, that leads us into our second article. We come a little bit further West and stay in the South Southeast. We go to Memphis world renowned St. Jude's children hospital tells employees Get vaccinated or get fired. How much of this time do you think the folks at St. Jude's may have been following this federal case out of Texas as maybe some a little bit of a guideline here?
2: Well, I think if you you know looking at what they're doing there, I mean it's almost it's exactly the same thing. I and mean, I think you know to my mind is even more important in you know, St. Jude's right. That's a children's hospital, and as we know. Even though there's vaccines being given to more children now, there's been a slower rollout to children. So, those, the children who are there are at a greater risk, are at greater risk of getting COVID than people who have been vaccinated. So, I think that is even more important in that situation.
0: Uh, uh, Dave, I bet we're going to see even more news like this over the next six months where large employers, or, or it doesn't matter how, how large they are, but frankly, the type of employment, I think, may be what's most important. Anyone in the front line, I think, is, is going to be ultimately subjected to this. But we're going to see more lawsuits on the basis of religion or some other protected uh, category of why people want to keep their employment and feel that they've been wrongfully terminated. I mean, that's a little bit out of what we do from our firm. But I, and Tom, I don't know if you guys have seen that yet or handled that type of work. Civil, I guess it would be federal civil rights violations cases.
2: Right. So we we don't, we only handle workers' comp cases. I mean, from the workers' comp standpoint, kind of the interesting thing is what happens if your company says you have to get a COVID vaccine and you have a bad reaction to it. You, I think I think that that actually would
0: be a valid workers' compensation case in that in that scenario. David, don't, wouldn't you think even in good old conservative Alabama? That might be a valid case in that scenario that Tom just gave us.
1: Oh, yeah, I think it is. I think it's convincible, definitely. Um, I, and I think we're going to, you know, we're seeing more and more employers require the vaccine for their employees. And now more than ever, we're seeing why and the need for the importance of getting vaccinated with this uh, Delta variant and more people being hospitalized and numbers going up, and children being hospitalized. Um, yeah, people, people need to get vaccinated and I'm all for these employers requiring it of their employees. Yeah, me, me as well. We can put those two articles aside. I want to
0: welcome anybody watching us live or that may watch us on our replay. Bernard and David Nomberg, Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. This is our monthly YouTube live show, Work Comp Today. We've got our buddy and fellow colleague out of the Atlanta area, Tom Holder, is our guest and we are ripping through a bunch of articles that impact employers, employees, and independent contractors as we do each month and we've got a group of three articles that really all really go together but they're from different parts of the country. This next one is U.S. employment likely accelerated last month in June as company boost perks. Now before we jump into that article and these other ones, Tom, what has been your observation in your community about businesses, whether they have been able to fulfill uh, open employment spots where they've needed it, whether it's the restaurant industry, service industry, whatever it is. Are you seeing a lot of signs up or are you hearing that uh, employers are having a tough time with that?
2: Well, you know, we are pretty wide open as far as the state is concerned, but there's definitely definitely in the restaurant industry. They're having trouble. Um, you know, we go out, I mean, we go out, You know, we've been vaccinated, we go out. And um, there definitely have been some restaurants where there were empty tables and it wasn't really a matter of keeping social distance. It was a matter of they didn't have enough staff to handle all of the tables in the restaurant. So I think the restaurant business is definitely is definitely struggling. Um, I know on the legal side, I, you know, just like every state we have listservs where lawyers are talking to each other about various lawyer things. And one thing that's coming up pretty regularly is the need for more paralegals. So there's clearly a lack of, you know, lack of people in certain, in certain fields. And, um, it will be interesting to see how that, you know, how that plays out over time. I wouldn't be surprised though to see when school starts, right. We, in Georgia, we start school early in August. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people who go back into the, who go back into the, um, employment you know go back to work at that time right as we saw the articles mentioned two big things keeping people from working going back to work now one is child care and the other is an ongoing concern about getting the getting the you know covid
0: Dave I know you were traveling out west like I was this past month uh, we saw in Utah several restaurants with help wanted signs or the signs would say please forgive our delay we don't have full staff we're only and you walk in one particular place that we went to because we wanted to sit outside on an open uh, area the entire interior was completely closed only the exterior the patio was open and we asked is that because of a pandemic did you not you know what why we just don't have enough staff we only have five In this particular incident, we only have five of 16 spots filled for tonight to work. So we only have X tables. Dave, did you see that out west?
1: I recall at one particular restaurant, but it was on a Monday, and uh, there was plenty of tables open, and they said, sorry, we just have one cook and one server right now, and it'll be about a 45-minute wait. Um, That was just one time. I'd be curious to find out, though, what those restaurants are paying their uh, wait staff if they're paying them the, the minimum wage for... Uh, for waitresses and waiters or if they're you know paying them a much greater wage because a lot of these companies are going to have to raise their hourly rate if they want people working Well that's in this article Tom that the art the, the
0: picture is in and outburger is offering uh, between 16 and 1850 per hour uh, for new in- employees and guys that kind of leans into these next two articles where you see uh, let's see worker, workers plan to sue Florida for ending unemployment early as part of a growing movement. And then the next article that came out of, uh, is this out of Boston? Where is this from? Um, I, I guess it's a national article. It kept food on my table. Maligned by some bosses, unemployment benefits helped Americans weather the pandemic. And I'm wondering, Tom, how much of an impact the under the continued unemployment payments just keeping folks home well that's that's you know that's certainly the uh, rhetoric that we're
2: hearing primarily from you know republican governors they showed that there were 26 states in which that's been cut off and 25 of them are head, headed by republican governors um there was a lot of statistics that showed that perhaps about 14 percent of people are no longer are not looking for jobs because of you know the extended unemployment and then they said that about the same number was staying out for fear of COVID and same fear, you know, because of childcare. So, I think while it might have an effect on a small number of people, I think it's kind of the old expression of throwing the baby out with the bathwater that it's mm-hmm. really impacting everybody. I think while it's easy to say as rhetoric that people are not going back to work because they're getting three hundred dollars extra per week, I don't know that the statistics and the analysis is really following that. And, you know, I would say that if you have a job that people don't want to take because of $300 a week, you might want to reconsider what you, you know, how much you're paying and what you're doing.
0: David, it is interesting when you look at this map where it says 26 states are nixing extra jobless benefits. Look at all that red in the lower part, the southeastern part of the country. And I'm wondering not to get too much politics into this, but as you mentioned, Tom, I wonder how much of those are Republican um, led governor states versus others. and I know there's a there's, that, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But it just, it's very interesting that most of them, about
1: half are going to be in the south or in the, the southern part of the country. Well, and, and in the article, it talks about, you know, 22 and a half billion dollars in potential benefits aren't going to those workers. And therefore, that's money that's not going into those states as well. And you know talk bringing that home to alabama you know alabama has not uh, uh gone forward with medicaid expansion Mm-mm. and there's loss of billions of dollars for our state because of refusal which punishes people who who need the benefits the most
0: yeah yeah well guys let's let's kind of pivot now we've we've run through that group of of articles and this this next article really kind of gets into the heart of what I know that David and I and Tom I suspect your firm have looked at so many of these types of cases but they're so very difficult to connect the dots so to speak to co- to show causation the the title of this article that comes out of North Carolina is those battling covid in North Carolina rarely get workers comp you have to fight so hard and then the subtitle, or at least part of this uh, related video, a prison officer dies of COVID-19 and his workers' compensation was denied. And before we jump into that, Tom, I want to ask you, in Georgia, have you seen many successful claims? Are you guys pursuing such claims where they're uh, uh, an injured or someone who has died from COVID in the workplace is the, the claim? Well, um, in Georgia, we don't have any presumptions.
2: Um, just very quickly, a presumption would mean that a person who we see who got COVID in, a, in certain lines of work, different states had different rules about you know had to be first responders or even people like grocery stores. If you got that, then you automatically those claims were automatically accepted, and we don't have that. Just like they don't have it in North Carolina, our law actually tracks North Carolina law very closely in a lot of ways. Um, so. We we were very, you know, reticent to take on cases. I know one lawyer who did take on five or six cases, um, you know, very specific. It had to be people that were severely, you know, had severe cases, right? You couldn't really have somebody who was out of work for a week and went back to work. It just wouldn't justify time and, and you know, sort of like um, health care places. Um, I personally took on one case of somebody who actually unfortunately died from COVID who was working at, Um, One of our state hospitals where they were prisoners and that claim to the state's credit. They accepted that as a death case. So I was pleased for the widow and the children in that case, but they're very difficult cases. I was actually wondering the um, case they were using in the article about the man who died. I didn't really understand Who would the who the dependent was in that case because he didn't have a widow and it didn't look like he had any children living at home. So I wasn't quite sure how that case would work. But Just like, just like in the article, it's very, very difficult to prove someone got it at the job. There's some. I think you have to be in a place where there's a cluster, and also where somebody has a severe injury or, unfortunately, death.
0: It's Dave. They mentioned in here uh, that at least 17 states and Puerto Rico have taken steps to make it easier for employees to prevail
1: in a, a comp case involving COVID.
0: Would Alabama happen to be on that list?
1: No, Alabama is not among those 17 states. Uh, just like Georgia, we have no presumption, and we will be uh, have a hard fight on our hands in court.
0: I tell you one one case that's of particular interest, and you can remind me what state. I think it's it's somewhere in the Midwest, maybe Minnesota. I can't remember. There's about eight to nine hundred poultry workers. You remember, those claims were denied, and now they're proceeding through litigation right now. And we both, in both of our respective states, Georgia and Alabama, have lots of poultry and, and um, livestock uh, processing type of organiza- or, or companies. I'm wondering where that case sits. I haven't seen anything in a while and whether it would have any impact on our respective states. Have you all seen that or do you remember that case, Dave, we've talked about in the past?
1: Yeah. And it. Was it Minnesota or Iowa? It was Midwest, wasn't yeah. it? But I but I don't know where uh, I don't know where it stands in as Spark as litigation. Dave, yes. what do you
2: think? I know there was also a very big case in South
0: Dakota. And Tom, we, that may be the state that we're thinking of. But let me ask this of both of you. Dave, we'll go with you first. What would it take in Alabama to prove a COVID-19 related death case? What 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 would you have to prove in a court?
1: That the uh, worker contracted the disease at work. And as Tom mentioned earlier, you're gonna to have to prove that, that, that there was a cluster at that, at that place of employment. You know, there was people there who had COVID-19 and you're further gonna to have to prove that, that, that the person that passed away from COVID-19 is at an increased risk of contracting the disease at that, at that place of business.
0: Tom, any would that be similar in Georgia, or is there some other types of, of requirements needed?
2: No, I'm, I I completely agree with David. In the case that I had, um, as a matter of fact, Milledgeville, Georgia, where the hospital was listed, was identified in the New York Times that week as one of the you know hotbeds of one of the hotbeds of COVID in the country. Mm-hmm. And the other people in the hospital got it, his, his had it. They weren't wearing masks. And it kind of, you know, created a situation that was something that I thought we could get involved with, but I think most people are turning them down. They're very difficult. They're very difficult. You know, if you have to get experts. If again, if people are going back to work within a week or two, a lot of the case really centers around payment of medical, which in Georgia, we are not allowed to get fees on recovering medical. So there'd be a lot of costs involved and not that much chance in a fee. That's a difficult, that's a difficult case.
0: Yeah that that very issue Dave could be the subject of an entire talk about how difficult those situations become on past clients or people who are looking for an attorney because in in Alabama as well Tom there's no statutory way for an attorney to be approved we we do have a couple of court orders on the books there's some other Ways that we can get paid, but there's nothing statutory that leads to that. So there's a real, it's really tough for a former client or a prospective new client to uh, pursue that that kind of matter. But we we can hold that that for another day. We we can move to our next article here, and this one actually is is in your your backyard, so to speak, Tom. Verdict in Walking Dead death suit. Tossed over work comp conflict. Were you familiar with this case before reading it or what? Tell us what you know about this at all. No, you're very, very um, familiar with this case.
2: Um, so we um, have represented a number of people who work in the television and movie business, which is a you know, very big business in Georgia. Um, the biggest I mean, I was actually surprised and gave big credit to the law firm that handled the case that they were able to get the verdict in the first place for exactly the reason why the court reversed it, is that I didn't really know how the person who had died was an independent contractor and was not considered an employee. And that, of course, was the basis of the, the, basis of the reversal. And um, the people in that firm do a great job. There was a, another movie where a person got killed down in um, Savannah a few years ago. There was a movie about the Allman Brothers, and they were able to get a big verdict on that case also. And I think, but I think the facts were slightly, of course, slightly different. And um, I mean, I was just surprised because the people that we that we represent, who were, you know, working in those industries, are always employees. Usually, there are payroll services that provide um, all the payroll activity. In a, in a, you know, on a movie set. So, if you had a movie of Black Panther, which was filmed here, the people working on the Black Panther movie are not working for Black Panther. They're working for one of the payroll services. So. I was just surprised, and, you know. I was we were surprised in the first place, and we're um, actually not that surprised about about this, although of course disappointing for the
0: for the plaintiff and for the
2: lawyers involved.
0: Let Let's stick on that that area of the law, Tom. I'll ask you first, and then Dave. That it's the the one that we see all the time. You guys see it too. Employee versus independent contractor in a work comp setting in Georgia. Give us a couple of those bullet point things that you look for in determining whether this person, the injured worker or the person who's died, is an employee of the company that we think may be responsible or are they really uh, an independent contractor? Before you get there, we see that, like you just mentioned, a stunt person. We see it all the time in over the road trucking situations where they may be what they call a lease operator versus an employee. I mean, there's countless examples, but Tom, what are a couple of those things that you look for to see whether or not your new potential client is an independent contractor or uh, an employee?
2: Right, okay. So usually, of course, in a workers' comp case, we want the person to be an employee so that they can come under workers' compensation. And if they're an independent contractor, they're not eligible for workers' compensation benefits. Even though in a case like the Walking Dead case, there was an argument that there was liability as I'm sure the three of us know in most workers' compensation cases, they're nobody's fault, right? A person lifts a box and hurts their back. You can't really say there's negligence, which means that you can't really access the courts in terms of a personal injury case. So the things that uh, matter most, and that's actually the court just said this in, in their decision is like who controls the time, method and manner of doing the work. And I think a perfect example is that if you, you know, if you hired somebody to paint your house, you know you might talk about the color, but you really wouldn't be telling them how to actually do the work, right? You'd come home from work and go over, you know go over what's happened, and they'd say what they had to do and how much you paid them. That's an independent contractor. But if you you know had three people working under you as the paint as the painting company, and the person in charge was telling everybody what to do, then they'd be an employee of that of that of that company. So, the time, manner, and method, you know, when you have to be at work, where's the job, what tools, right, if, you, if the company provides you with tools. Um, one thing I do want to say is, of course, people always say, well, I got paid as a 1099 employee, so therefore I'm an independent contractor, and a lot of employers try to do that. As we know, that's one of, that's actually one of the factors that's de- used to determine if somebody is an, in- an independent contractor or an employee, but is not the only one.
0: Yeah, those are all, all excellent things that we also look for. Dave, are there any other? Tom may have hit had the highlights, but can you think of anything yeah. else we look for? Well,
1: In Alabama, the test is whether the, uh, I won't, employer's the wrong word, but I guess the master uh, would retain the right to control how the work is done. Does the uh, master retain the right to control the work? And then as Tom mentioned, then you look at those other factors. Is, what are tools being supplied? How are they paid? Whether they're 1099, whether taxes are taken out, whether they're provided a, a name badge or a uniform and told when and where to be, you look, you gotta look at the facts.
0: Other than the, the stunt person situation and then the truck driver or a lawn hauler, what are some other uh, employment or not employment, but job scenarios you guys have come across that may
1: also be subject to this, this uh, debate? Uh, sales associate you remember years ago we had a big case involving a sales associate whether she was an independent contractor working for uh, a business Mm yeah i remember that one
2: yeah i I had one case that still sticks in my craw where somebody who was doing some construction work for somebody and fell off a roof and got hurt very badly was determined to be an independent contractor and i think um i thought i thought the evidence was a little thin on that one
0: yeah, there, and I'm sure there are many other situations. But, uh, guys, I want to welcome anybody who's watching this live. If you've got questions, throw them in the chat. Uh, we're talking, it's our week, excuse me, our monthly YouTube live show with attorney Tom Holder, friend and colleague out of the Atlanta area. Dave and I do this show on the last or next to last Thursday of each month. We've been doing it for a couple of years. And we talk about information, articles, laws, cases, and things that impact independent contractors, employers, and employees. Even though we've run through all of our articles for this month, guys, here's two others that have come up you haven't read, but I do want a little bit of your input on this. One goes into the area of, or the title, this is NPR, just came out uh, yesterday. Low pay, no benefits, rude customers, restaurant workers quit, at record rate, and that really just kind of, and I'll, I'll link this article to, to the show notes, but this article, and, and actually it's a five minute uh, NPR piece, that really just un- doesn't help <laughs> with what we talked about earlier about why restaurants can't keep uh, uh, enough folks. But I do want to share one side note. I recently had a conversation, had a discussion with the proprietor of Chuck's Fish, Chuck's Fish is located in Birmingham, Athens, Georgia, Destin. It it originated off the Florida panhandle. And the owner uh, and founder of the article, excuse me, of Chuck's Fish has said that all throughout the pandemic, now they may be unique, even though they have multiple stores or restaurants around the southeast, they were able to keep full uh, employment. And they did so by incentivizing their people. Now, he calls it a family. A lot of companies call it a family, but just the way that he described how Chuck's Fish does business, I was very impressed, but I don't know if larger companies can do this. Charles Morgan was just sharing how he's had employees 30, 40 years. Ever since they started, people have been with the company just the way that they have incentivized them and took care of the family of of folks. But when you have large companies uh, who is the company that this one was here? Um, oh, it doesn't mention the name of the company, of course. But anyway, it's, it just goes to show how difficult a time that these restaurants, and I don't want to pick on the food service industry. I'm sure we can come up with others, that people out there are getting out and about, but their frustration levels, why aren't you serving me like I demand you know, or expect? to be served that quickly. And I'm wondering if we're gonna see more of that as the com- as the country is continuing to open it up, but companies can't fulfill their employment uh, like they should. So anyway, that was the first of the two, but I, I, I truly want you guys, this one just came out, Uber and Lyft, imagine that, Dave, we're talking about Uber and Lyft. The streak continues. Tom, they, they make a, an appearance in every one of our episodes. The drivers from those companies in several cities, strike for the right to unionize. Mm-hmm. Tom, have you dealt with any Uber or Lyft cases? Have you looked into these cases in the last year or two? So, do you want to talk about you want to talk about these first? Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Um, well, you know, we've been very interested. Interested in, of course, and David knows that. in will we have a we have a committee that's looking into, you know. We, um, issues pertaining to not only Uber and Lyft, but any of the, you know, inter, I guess, internet platform work things like um, Instacart and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, we in, you know, so there, you know, we really aren't taking on any cases because in Georgia, they are considered to be independent contractors. And I have to say that they've done a great, Uber and Lyft has done a great job of insulating themselves from any kind of liability on any of these cases. And the example I always give is if I was riding in an Uber and we rear-ended you, you know, I wouldn't be able, you know, Uber has minimum insurance on the car. We couldn't, you know, if we sued again, sued the driver who was at fault, he's not an Uber employee. So we don't have anything by at superior. You would have that if you were in the other car. And then if the Uber driver got hurt, he does no way to bring a worker's compensation case. So they've really done a good job of insulating themselves <laughs> Now, we know out in California last year, you know, there was a huge push. You know, they spent tremendous amounts of money to defeat the legislation that would identify those people as employees. So you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. It's a big issue throughout the country. I think you know Uber obviously was on the slide last year since people weren't really traveling during the pandemic, but I think that it'll start you know, back up
0: again within the next year or two. Dave, we've looked at cases in the past. I've interviewed folks who drive for these companies. And one of the things about liability I asked was, are you required to carry your own auto policy? And I think at the time it was required, but the insurance companies largely won't insure you if you're working for a company or working in a commercial setting. So I don't know where, I'm not enough of an insurance expert to know where the coverage lies in that scenario. Dave, have you, or Tom, have you looked at that that section or that type of case?
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead.
2: Um, We don't do any personal injury work, so that's not really something we look at one thing we are seeing is whether or not um, they're gonna start making occupational accident policies available to their drivers, which is kind of like what we see in the truck driving situation that you mentioned earlier when they're independent owner operators. So they do have some access to a disability coverage in case they get hurt on the job.
0: Mm-hmm. Well guys, that why don't we pause our articles for, for this month? <laughs> That's a, lot of, that's a lot of articles in a short period. But where I wanna pivot now, and we do this in, in almost all of our, our monthly shows, is we wanna do a little bit of a comparison of our state, Alabama's state laws, with our guests' state laws, that being Georgia this month. Dave, I'll let you lead off, and I wanna talk about notice of claim. How does a claim begin what are the Alabama requirements to be able to go forward once you get hurt on the
1: job and you want to pursue work comp? Sure. So if, if you get hurt in Alabama, the first thing you need to do is notify your employer that you've been injured and you have to give notice within five days verbally or within 90 days written. So it's five days, verbal, 90 days written. And what I tell people is, You need to tell your supervisor, whoever's in charge of work comp at your company, that you got hurt at work and you want to see the work comp doctor. So it's kind of a two-part thing. Tell them you got hurt at work, but then also tell them you need medical treatment.
0: Tom, what about in Georgia? What's the notice provision? What's the requirements? Well, our notice provision
2: is that you have to give notice within 30 days from the date of injury. you know what's interesting all the time you have people you know someone gets hurt on a Thursday and tries to see if they can work you know if their back will get better over the weekend and then they work Monday and then Tuesday they'll notify the people that they got hurt and we've had plenty of companies say oh you had to notify us within 24 hours and they won't proceed with the case um, you know you have somebody especially like if that's two weeks and they say to their supervisor don't you remember two weeks ago when I told you I hurt my back and Nobody ever, nobody ever remembers that conversation. So yeah. I definitely agree with Dave. I mean, the problem is, you know, people are working in good faith. They're trying to work their way through it, try to see if they can, you know, take an Epsom salt bath and take a couple of Advil and it'll go away. And, you know, they're trying to do the, the what they think is try to be right by
0: fair by their company and they don't always get the same consideration in return. Let's stay on that scenario. What if the employers policies or procedures are, you have to notify us in 24 hours. And if you don't, you could be subject to termination for not reporting an accident on the job. And let's say it's a truck driver, Tom, and he's, he's in Idaho, but he works for a, a Georgia-based company, but he doesn't report it. Like you said, maybe he takes some goodie powder or whatever. He waits, but there's no property damage in this situation he fell off of trying to secure his tarp 3 days later he can't move he reports it but the company rule is 24 hours could he be terminated in that scenario unfortunately in georgia there's very little
2: protection for people who file workers compensation claims i would say that they you know whether they should or shouldn't i think that they could of course the problem you know, if, if somebody would like to come with me with that case, I'd be happy to take it on because by being fired, the company will most likely lose the opportunity to control, you know, light duty work and that type of a thing. But you're right. I mean, again, here's somebody trying to get
0: the truck back from Idaho and then he somehow gets penalized for that. Dave, same scenario. Would he in Alabama if this was an Alabama trucking case, would he still have the right? To pursue work comp benefits, even though he's now been terminated from his employment.
1: Yeah, the the if the company has a twenty four hour policy, meaning you got to tell them you got hurt at work within twenty four hours, they can have that policy, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't supersede Alabama law, which gives the injured worker those five days to provide verbal notice of the accident or ninety days in writing, and and that where work, that worker is fired uh, for making that for for putting them on notice. Then they may have a claim for retaliatory discharge, which means that they got fired solely for making a work comp claim in Alabama.
0: And we do not have a retaliatory discharge law. Mm, that's one of the few teeth we actually have in our work comp cases, but they're so difficult to prove with being an at-will employment state. Tom, let's talk about credibility of the claimant. The injured worker has an accident that is not witnessed It's not recorded, but he is now reporting it timely, and says I was on the forklift. I fell off the forklift, but I got hurt, and I want to make a claim. But there's no one else in the warehouse. How important is credibility of an injured worker for you to be able to help help represent that person?
2: Well, what we would, of course, um, credibility is crucial in all of these workers' compensation cases especially if it's a denied claim because when we go unlike in Alabama we have administrative law judges who only hear workers compensation cases there's a very good chance that other than the medical records our client is going to be our only witness mm-hmm. so if the client is uh, you know is not credible for one he'll show poorly on the deposition which will be taken at some point in a contested claim and then you know, if a judge rules that if a judge rules that he doesn't find our client credible, and that's the reason for denying the claim, there's virtually no way to get that case reversed on appeal, because the appellate judges will all say, "Why should we um, challenge the credibility of the person who got to see your witness, your witness live?" Mm-hmm. So it's very important. You know, what we would be looking at in that situation, which comes up all the time, is did he give a consistent history when he went to his medical providers, right? It's amazing how many times you look at four or five different medical providers and there are four or five different stories about what happened. So if, if they, if they're consistent, you know, if he says, you know, I got hurt two weeks ago and the doctor says the injury looks like one that a person could have had two weeks ago, that enhances the credibility. So, but it's, it's, it's really, it's almost impossible to win a case without a credible client.
0: Dave, how important is it from the get-go, from the start of your representation of a new employee to stress pretty much exactly what Tom has just said?
1: Yeah. I mean, in most every case, the injured worker is the most important person who's going to testify. Um, Sometimes a treating doctor's opinion is going to be very important, but usually it's the injured worker's uh, testimony that's most important. Um, I've won cases and lost cases based on those first few medical records from an ambulance run report uh, to the emergency room report. And because that is, as long as the worker's testimony is consistent from that point forward, then that's gonna really bolster the plaintiff for the injured worker's case. But if they have uh, forgotten about medical treatment in the past, Or they had been treating for a similar injury in the recent past, and they don't disclose that along the way. And then there's some other red flags that pop up, and then we've got some issues we're gonna have to work through. Mm -hmm.
0: Last last comparison, and one of the the Achilles heels of, of any case, a positive drug screen. Let's first take, Tom, the impact of a positive drug screen that predates the accident or incident that led to your client's injury. What's the impact there?
2: I'm, I, well, it shouldn't have any impact on it. I mean, I mean, are you talking about
0: like a day before? I mean, if it, I, I'm not quite, I'm sorry, I'm just not quite sure what you mean. All right, let's let's say that your guy gets hurt in a construction uh, accident, which we've seen hundreds of times, and then the records come in. You're now six months into your case, and you see that. 3 months or even 3 weeks before this on a random screen of some sort maybe it was the uh, a physical he had to take but it comes back and this predates this accident is there an impact of that positive drug screen for illegal narcotics well i'll say i've never had a case i've never lost a case
2: specifically for that reason i think that if somebody's had a positive drug screen Three months prior to the injury date, it's irrelevant Correct. to whether or not he was under the influence of drugs at the time. Now, if he had smoked marijuana and there was some evidence of that being in the system three weeks in advance, mm-hmm. right? Um, the marijuana stays in your system 30 days. So he might still come up negatively, but I don't think that we would use a pre- you know, predated drug screen to influence whether or not, you know, whether or not um, the case could be controverted based on the drugs.
0: Let's stay with you, Tom. We've got three scenarios. That's the first one. The second one is, at least in Alabama, you have a mandatory drug screen immediately after going to being triaged or to the emergency room. In most scenarios, what's the impact of a positive screen at that scenario? Right. So
2: um, we don't have we don't have it by law. It's not mandatory but by law, but a lot of um, workers' comp insurance carriers give a discount. Give a discount on premiums if you do a mandatory drug screen so obviously we see that a lot of the times you know in my experience if you fail a drugs drug screen at that moment you your claim will be denied whether whether you know it's a um, rebuttable presumption that the drugs call your alcohol caused cause the injury now you know we've seen you know the classic story where the person is the passenger in the car that has the accident and the claim is still denied and we've had you know, kind of weird things like that but you know as we know if insurance companies can deny find legitimate ways to deny claims they will do it
0: now let's look at the third scenario we're now a year post accident your client has been receiving workers comp approved medical care but there's a delay this is a factual thing that i'm throwing in here there's a delay in getting pain management medication approved your guy your client decides to self-medicate gets popped in a drug screen it comes back positive. What's the impact in that scenario?
2: well a lot of times that scenario depends on depends on the doctor you know there's a lot of doctors that will automatically re- say that they'll refuse to see the person mm-hmm. and that of course becomes an issue as to whether or not you know whether or what's going to happen with ongoing medical care which is always an issue in workers comp but there are other doctors that I think are willing to, you know, especially in that scenario where where treatment was delayed, I think there was another set of doctors that would be willing to let that go, but they would make sure that, you know, that a lot of times right, people have to now sign waivers saying, you know, they have to sign things saying we know that we can't use other drugs. We don't know how they'll interact with our medication. So I think it really, in that case, I think it would really depend on the doctor because that would not be up to the insurance company. That would be up to the medical
0: provider. And is there any impact on your clients' ability or legal right to receive compensation based on that let's say that that weekly or monthly compensation benefits had been paid up during that time period could that be an impact or have an impact?
2: I I would again I would say that that would have to be tied into the medical you know the right for for us you have to either be returned back to work full duty or if you return back to work with restrictions, your employer has to come up with a light-duty job within your restrictions. As the and drug being found on positive on a drug screen is not a basis for suspension of
0: benefits. Wow, Dave, take that third scenario. What's the impact here on compensation?
1: Yeah, so if they test positive um, for uh, alcohol or uh, drugs, then uh, they they will the injured worker will receive medical treatment under Alabama law but the uh, work comp company, a uh, work comp insurance company does not have to pay any type of compensation. Okay? It does not pay compensation unless a judge, uh, that the judge uh, determines that, that the affirmative defense of impairment or toxication uh, fails and then they would have to pay uh, compensation pursuant to a judge's order.
0: Welcome to Alabama law, Tom. <laughs>
1: well, I,
2: know, I know you all have some unusual, you know, you have some differences to, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's one of them, unfortunately.
0: Dave, let's take that second scenario we talked about—a positive drug screen. What's the impact immediately the same day, or that we you know when they go to ER or get
1: triaged right after the accident? Um, you know, again, it, it, so it's an affirmative defense. It's one that the employer has to prove has the burden of proving. The employer has to show that the that that positive drug screen correlates into. Uh, the injured worker being impaired or intoxicated. And therefore, that was the, the the accident happened because they were impaired or intoxicated. It's the burden on the employer to show that. And as Tom mentioned, you know, if, if, an, if a, an employee is in a car as a passenger, and they uh, have drugs in their system, well, that didn't cause the accident, that didn't contribute to the accident happening. So they can have drugs in their system, and they're not going to and that, that, that defense will fail and they will have a compensable workers compensation claim.
0: All right, last last part of this, Dave. The first scenario, when someone, it shows up in the records that three weeks or a month before this accident,
1: they tested positive for illegal substance. Any... NEM- yeah, um, again, yeah. I, I think the, the employer's gonna raise the defense and try to say that the injured worker was impaired, uh, intoxicated, and that's why this accident occurred. But again, they have the burden of proving that to a judge. um, And the judge will have to make a decision based on the facts of how the accident occurred.
0: And I think that that goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago is the credibility of the injured worker. I think they'll make a lot of of way in front of the trier of fact, the judge or the ALJ, uh, that that, that's going to harm their uh, their credibility. Well, gentlemen, we've come to the end of our episode and i want to thank you both for your expertise your your insight and just sharing a little bit about your practices and and these important topics cuz this is stuff that both of our respective firms deal with every single day every week and how we can help those who need it need it the most so thank you both
1: thanks for having
0: me
1: absolutely tom, tom brought the expertise he
0: certainly did he always does and guys I wanna mention, let's see, we've got our next uh, show is August 26th, which is a Thursday, Dave. You can put it on your calendar if it's not there. Zach Schmoll out of Minnesota, another Willig uh, member is gonna join us. I'm sure by then Uber and Lyft will still be in the news. They'll keep their streak going, but I suspect we'll have hopefully some more articles that keep pushing forward the unemployment situation in the country, COVID impact and the like. But guys, y'all be safe, be well. And thank you again for joining us for another monthly episode on YouTube Live